Good morning, Redeemer family, and a very special welcome if this is your first time joining us. I'm Roy, and I've been asked to speak on the purpose and power of prayer as part of this month's focus on prayer. Last Sunday, Hugh spoke on the privilege and priority of prayer, from which we also began to gain insight into the purpose of prayer, which I will seek to build on today. In James chapter 5, we read, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When we read about the heroes of the faith, it's good to remember that they were all people just like you and I, and they had their weaknesses and failings too. And James reminds us that Elijah was just like us. But something which marked him out was that he prayed. And from this brief mention of him by James, we're reminded how Elijah's prayers were both purposeful and powerful. God, of course, is a purposeful God. And if we go back to the beginning, to the book of Revelation, we discover three primary purposes which God intended for mankind, which I believe point to some of the purposes of prayer. From Genesis chapter 1, we find three purposes which God intended for mankind. He created mankind, firstly, to reflect God's nature. Genesis 1.26 tells us that mankind was created in God's image and likeness. Secondly, mankind was created to relate to God in an intimate, loving relationship. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 strongly implies that God regularly fellowshiped with Adam and Eve, walking and talking with them in the Garden of Eden in the call of the evening. And what a lovely picture that is of our caring Heavenly Father. He didn't meet up with them in the heat of the day, but in the call of the evening. And furthermore, whenever God is spoken of in the creation of mankind, the Hebrew name of Yahweh, the covenant-keeping Father God, is used, and not the name of Elohim, the all-powerful Creator God, which is used in the creation of everything else. God always intended that his relationship with mankind would be different to that with the rest of creation. God has always intended that mankind should reflect God's nature and relate to him in an intimate relationship. And thirdly, God's intended purpose was for mankind to rule for him on the earth. Again, Genesis 1.26 in the NIV records how God said, let them rule, or as other translations put it, let them have dominion. God's intention has always been that man would rule over this world on his behalf. Now, linked to these three purposes, I would suggest three corresponding purposes of prayer. Although these are not the sole purposes of prayer, but three purposes that relate directly to the primary purposes of mankind. Firstly, for us as Christian believers, 
A purpose of prayer is for us to be changed in God's presence so that we reflect more of him. In referring to the time when Moses came down from the mountain, radiating the glory of God, you'll remember, from spending time in God's presence, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 draws a parallel of how as we spend time beholding the Lord and pondering on him we are changed to be more like him and pertinently Mary the sister of Lazarus was of course commended for choosing to spend time in the presence of Jesus listening to him Lord help us all to make spending time in your presence a priority a second purpose of prayer which corresponds with god's original intention for mankind to have relationship with him is that prayer is a means for us to commune with god as i've already said before the fall adam and eve regularly communed with yahweh their father god as they walked and talked together in the cool of the evening to commune is far more than just sharing facts or asking for things. It's a sharing of our deepest thoughts, desires, concerns and emotions in a loving relationship with our Father God who fully accepts us and completely understands us. And the third purpose of prayer is the means by which born again sons and daughters of God are to commission God's involvement in man's affairs. Now to commission someone is to authorize them to do certain things. From Genesis chapter 126, we saw that God commissioned Adam and Eve to rule on his behalf over the affairs of the earth. God said, let them rule. And of course, God's word, his spoken word is law not just for us to live by but also the law by which god lives by and because god clearly can't break his own laws he cannot do anything on earth without the permission of those to whom he has given legal dominion to and remember satan's authority in our world is illegitimate but the prayer requests of reborn sons and daughters of god's people permit god to intervene in mankind's affairs on the earth that's why truly and rightly john wesley said god does nothing except in response to believing prayer as we've begun to see then prayer is not just for one single purpose indeed in ephesians 6 and verse 18 paul urges us to pray with all kinds of prayers there are different kinds of prayers, including prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of adoration and prayers of agreement, prayers of confession and repentance, even prayers of despair, which Hugh spoke of last Sunday, and prayers of consecration and surrender, such as when on the evening before his crucifixion, Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will, Father, be done. And in a similar way to how the word sport covers a whole range of different sports, each played according to different rules. So in a similar way, different kinds of prayer have some differences in the way they operate. And so for the remainder of this teaching, 
to be clear, I will be focusing on the two primary kinds of prayer which relate to our mandate as born-again believers to roar through prayer. That is, prayers of petition for our own needs and prayers of intercession for the needs of others, for individuals, families, workplaces, churches, towns and even nations. And so, what will help our prayers of petition and intercession be powerful and thus effective. You see, whilst God responds to prayer from anyone, including unsaved and those people walking in disobedience to his will, James 5.16 reveals that it is the prayers of believers, the prayers of the righteous, those made righteous by the shed blood of Jesus that are especially powerful and effective. And the scriptures reveal some specific factors which makes the prayers of the righteous, yours and my prayers, especially powerful, including regular fellowship with God, real faith in God, resolute fervency before God and routinely fasting for God. Now, I can't speak fully on each of these factors which help the effectiveness of our prayers but let me make some brief and I hope helpful comments on each one. Firstly regular fellowship with God. He of course spoke about the importance of this last Sunday and so I have little to add. However experience has taught me that relationship with someone grows from spending time together, from getting to know them. And the more we get to know God, his desires and his ways, then the more we will know how to pray in accordance with his will for the various situations that face us. Having been married to my wife Dorothy for over 52 years, I have learned what she would do and what she would like me to do in many situations without needing to actually ask her. And in a similar way, the more we get to know God, the greater confidence we will have in knowing how to pray, which will help our prayers be more powerful and effective. Paul is a great example to us of the priority and desire to get to know God better. In Philippians 3 verse 10, the Amplified Version puts it like this. This is Paul's desire. He says, it's my determined purpose that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognising and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. The history books tell us that Jeremiah Lamphia was a man who enjoyed close fellowship with the Lord. And some of you are saying, who was Jeremiah Lamphia? Well, we shouldn't be surprised to discover that he was the one whom God used in the 1800s to impact our world in a hugely significant way. In September 1857, he began lunchtime prayer meetings in New York City 
And on the first occasion, only six people turned up. That wasn't very encouraging. But within six months, an estimated 10,000 people were regularly praying in New York and thousands were also gathering to pray in other American cities, which led to what is known as the Third Great Awakening, with thousands upon thousands saved around the world. Regular fellowship with God leads to powerful prayer. Secondly, real faith in God is also important for effective prayer. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God and that anyone who comes to him must believe. In other words, they must have faith. Jesus taught in Matthew 21 verse 22, the English standard version, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, faith is not mere hope, but as Hebrews 11.1 1 explains, it's the very substance or the certainty of what we hope for. And faith comes to us, the Bible tells us, from hearing what God says about the different situations that we face. In the late 1940s, two sisters living in the Hebrides, 84-year-old blind Peggy Smith and 82-year-old Christine, who was full of arthritis, prayed in faith day and night on the basis of what they had heard God speak to them from the scriptures that he would pour water upon those who are thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And their faith-filled praying led to a visitation of God between 1949 to 1952, which swept the Hebrides islands with people overcome at work by the tangible presence of God and people saved in the fields and by the roadside without them even hearing anyone preach the gospel to them. It is faith in God and in his promises that gives you a certainty that your prayer will be answered. Another component of effective prayer is resolute fervency before God. The New King James Version of James chapter 5 and verse 16 emphasises that it is the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. Now, to be fervent is to be hot or burning, to be intensely earnest. The issue, you may remember, which God had with the church of Laodicea was that they weren't fervent. They were merely lukewarm. The Amplified Version also helps us further understand what James was teaching in James 5.16 because it says the earnest, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. When Peter was thrown in prison as part of the persecution of the early church, Acts 12 verse 5 tells us that there was earnest prayer for him from the church, which resulted in him being rescued from prison through an angel's intervention. You see, earnest or serious heartfelt prayers of the righteous are indeed powerful. I well remember how 
our church earnestly prayed heartfelt prayers when back in 1989 one of our members was undercover smuggling bibles into china and at that time whilst he was there the Tiananmen square massacre occurred with no mobile phones in those days we had no idea whereabouts he was in china and whether he was safe boy did we pray serious heartfelt prayers now heartfelt prayer doesn't however mean that it has to be loud think of hannah in the old testament she provides a great example of heartfelt prayer 1 samuel chapter 1 verse 10 tells us how she poured out her heart before the lord and wept with no words could be heard but she was praying a heartfelt prayer in contrast however Bartimaeus he certainly did shout out loudly to get Jesus attention and to get his need met Jesus taught that to be fervent in prayer we should be resolute bold determined and persistent in our asking it's not because of any reluctance by God to answer our prayers but because he wants us to persist as the development we're told of perseverance is so so important for us to grow in maturity and jesus told a parable recorded in luke chapter 11 to emphasize the importance of us being resolute bold and determined in our prayer the parable which will probably be familiar to you was of a person who was faced with an unexpected visitor arriving late in the evening and embarrassingly he had no food to set before him which would be the normal thing to do in that culture for anyone who visited you and of course the shops were not 24-hour service like we enjoy and so the host went to a friend's house he and he repeatedly knocked on the door and he called out for help asking for some bread but the response that he got from within the house was don't bother me I've locked the door for the night we're all in bed and I can't get up and give you anything and Jesus explained that the person's need wouldn't get met by his friend on just the basis of his relationship with him but that ultimately the door would get opened and his need would for bread would be met because of his bold persistent knocking and repeated asking now the Greek word in the language of the original text in Luke 11 and verse 8 which is generally translated as boldness or persistence literally means that the man would get his request for bread met because of his brazenness that's to say it would be his shameless cheekily bold determination to get his friends need met which would be effective the old authorized version of the bible uses the old-fashioned word importunity literally meaning to actually be a trouble to someone with your requests and demands and that's the way jesus taught us to pray peggy and christine smith whom i mentioned previously 
were not just persistent in their praying for revival, but they were bold and determined in their asking to such an extent that they were troublesome and cheeky in making their demands, not just of God, but also in the way they got Duncan Campbell to the island of Lewis, as they were so convinced that God had said and told them that this was the man through whom God would bring revival. There's a recording of how Duncan Campbell tells how he received a telegram in Skye where he was ministering, urging him to come to Lewis. And he replied that that would be impossible as he was to speak at a conference elsewhere. But he said he would put in his diary uh, into his program for the following year. When, however, Peggy and Christine received his reply, they said, this is what man has said, but God has said he is coming and he will be here within a fortnight. And in telling how he came to be in Lewis, Duncan Campbell himself said, I cannot go into the details as to how it was necessary to cancel that convention. All I can say is that Peggy's prayer was answered and within a fortnight I was there. Peggy was resolute and fervent in prayer. She persisted in her asking until she got what she knew God had promised. A fourth thing which adds to the power of prayer is routinely fasting for God. When I say fasting for God, I don't mean it's for his benefit, but that we do it to make him the priority by denying ourselves food and to give ourselves to prayer. You see, fasting is not to lose weight, nor is it to earn God's love or approval, nor to twist his arm to answer our prayers. Fasting is about becoming weak before God so that his power can be made strong in us. Significantly, Luke in chapter 4 verse 14 has recorded that Jesus came out of 40 days of fasting in the power of the Spirit. Jesus was actually spiritually stronger after fasting. And it is significant too that when teaching on prayer as part of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke about fasting, saying, when you fast, not if you fast. It was the expected norm for the early church. Fasting can help us personally in all kinds of ways, including helping us become more sensitive to the voice of God's Spirit. It can also help us recognise and overcome temptations and habitual sins. And fasting can help us individually and corporately when praying and interceding for specific breakthroughs. By way of example, when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, his disciples asked him why it was that they couldn't get a lad free from an evil spirit whom he had instantly set free. And Jesus' answer was from Mark 9 verse 29, the New King James Version, this kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. And from the timing of that particular incident, it is most likely and thus significant that Jesus had probably 
been fasting at that point for at least three days. Think about it. It would have taken him a day to climb the Mount of Transfiguration. They were up there for a day and the third day he had come down and prayed up having been fasting. He set the lad free. Now, if fasting increased the power of the spirit operating through Jesus, then it surely must be of help to us. And I would therefore encourage you, if you haven't already, to boost your prayer this month by spending some time fasting as part of Redeemer's current emphasis on prayer. Four helps to purposeful and prayerful, powerful prayer. Regular fellowship, real faith, resolute fervency and routinely fasting. But you may be feeling that you are just not good at praying. And so I want to encourage you that if you are a born again, spirit filled Christian, then you have some incredible help to become more effective in prayer. In Romans chapter eight, Paul speaks of prayer as a common human weakness. But he goes on to explain in verse 26 of Romans 8 that if we have, that we do have the great intercessor promised by Jesus to help us. In John 14 verses 15 to 17 we have this wonderful promise of Jesus. This is what it says. If you love me you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will live in you. Now, the word translated as helper in that New King James version of the Bible is the Greek word parakletos. And it can also be accurately translated as intercessor. The Holy Spirit helps us in all kinds of ways and especially in prayer. Romans 8 verses 26 and 27 explains that whilst we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit knows fully God's will and God's purposes for every situation. For he, of course, is as much God as God the Father and Christ the Son. And so if we will learn to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit, then he will guide us how to pray in each and every situation, including through the use of our prayer language of tongues. And at times when we just can't find the words to express what's on our hearts, Paul explains that incredibly, the Holy Spirit will intercede for us and through us with yearnings and groanings too deep to be articulated in words. We have the greatest help possible in prayer through the Holy Spirit living in us. He is a great purposeful and powerful intercessor who is always ready to help us in our praying. And so in conclusion, let me pray for all of us. 
Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray with greater purpose and help us together to pray with greater power so that we will be more effective in advancing Christ's kingdom. Amen.